Well, this summer, our series has been Expressions of Shalom. Shalom is comprehensive flourishing, and we've talked about shalom for individuals, shalom for nations, and this morning we're going to be talking about shalom for the city, in particular Kansas City. And in Kansas City, there is both the presence and absence of shalom. And good and evil influences contribute to the presence and absence of flourishing. So where do we see flourishing? In beauty. Kansas City is the city of? You got it. I've heard it said that only Rome has more fountains than Kansas City. We also see beauty in good art. The Nelson Atkins Museum, the Kaufman Performing Arts Center, there's many more places that I could list. We taste beauty in good food. We have pride as Kansas Cityans of our barbecue. We might not agree who has the best sauce or ribs or fries, but we have Kansas City pride in our barbecue. We also experience beauty, we actually hear it in good music. 18th and Vine, the Jazz Museum, the Blue Room, and many other venues and musicians throughout our city. And occasionally, we experience the beauty of something that is so rich, it leaves us in awe and close to worship, both satisfied and hungrier for life. You can probably think of an experience like this for yourself. For me, what comes to mind is about a year ago, my husband Adam and I went to a concert in Kansas City. We listened to a band called The Lone Bellow. And it was in this small venue, which was filled with people and with harmony. And they were singing gospel music, even though they're not an explicitly Christian band. And I saw around me how that music resonated with others. And it so deeply resonated with me that it brought me to tears. It was a divine encounter with God's beauty. So we experience flourishing in Kansas City and beauty. And there are also places where we do not experience flourishing. And Matt Farmer serves with the Hope Center, and he's a friend and colleague of my husband and I's. And he moved to Kansas City about four years ago. And he spent his whole first year in Kansas City being a full-time student of Kansas City. And he tried to understand where there was flourishing, where there was not flourishing, and the causes behind that. And I don't have time to get into all of the causes. There is a long history in Kansas City, probably which some of you are very familiar with. There's actually been dissertations written on the causes of injustices in Kansas City. And one of the dissertations covers three main topics, racialization, real estate, and uneven development. So that gives you a window in to the complexity of what has caused lack of flourishing in our city. 
So I am going to speak to some pockets of pain that Matt and others have identified. One is education. Kansas City, Missouri public schools have been unaccredited and now are provisionally accredited. And a startling statistic is only 16% of third graders are at or above the third grade reading level, 16%. And the reason why that statistic matters so much is once you reach third grade and thereafter, you are expected to read to learn. You're no longer learning how to read in the classroom. And so people look at that third grade reading level to map out the history, excuse me, map out the future for those students. And so it is correlated with graduation rates. The future does not look good for those students. Another pocket of pain in Kansas City is job loss. Since 2007, the Kansas City area has lost over 67,000 jobs. In 2011, Kansas City ranked among the worst of 350 U.S. metro areas for job loss. Another pocket of pain is payday lending. There are more payday loan type of stores in the state of Missouri than Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart combined. And this doesn't just affect Missouri, this also affects Kansas. There are at least 180 payday loan type of stores in the Kansas City metro area. And the annual percentage rates at these payday loan stores is astronomical. In the state of Kansas, it's about 300%. So as you can imagine, payday loans contributes to the cycle of poverty, as well as education, as well as job loss. And material poverty is not just in the urban core. Johnson County has poverty as well. And in the last decade, it has doubled. And we might think of Detroit as an abandoned city, but Kansas City is also one of America's most abandoned cities. There are about 15,000 vacant structures across the Kansas City metro area. Some of them are houses. Actually, most of them are houses. And here's just a few pictures right close to where my husband and I live. So we got a picture this morning of where there's a presence and absence of flourishing in Kansas City. And Kansas City's story fits within a bigger story, God's story. The story we see from Genesis to Revelation and that is being played out today. And James Chung, who serves with InterVarsity, helps depict this big story, God's story, with four circles. And these four circles represent four different worlds, which provides a framework for flourishing. One world is damaged by evil. Kansas City, you, me, the whole world, we're all damaged by evil. We live in a sin-stained world, broken in every aspect. And we long, we ache for a better world. 
And thankfully, there is more to this story. A better world did exist. That better world is described in Genesis 1 and 2. Before humanity turned from God and his ways to follow their ways. God designed Kansas City, you and me and the whole world for comprehensive flourishing. Shalom with God, shalom with self, shalom with others, shalom with all creation. And God's purpose for humanity's flourishing is for the flourishing of all. God created us to flourish in community as we care and serve people and planet. Although all is damaged by evil, we know the good news. The good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which which makes possible the restoration of all things. Jesus provides the way for us to turn back towards God. And Jesus' mission of restoration extends beyond rescuing you and me to restoring all things. Jesus has the power to restore all that has been damaged by evil. And we have hope because he is doing so now, and he will do so in a complete sense when he returns when there will be ultimate victory over evil, when there will be ultimate rejoicing of God's people. God's mission is big, restoring all things, and we have a part to play. God is sending you and me to help others flourish near and far in every dimension of life. And knowing Jesus' mission of restoration and that we live in a world that is still damaged by evil, we are called to join Jesus on mission, his restoration mission. And this framework for flourishing helps us understand the big idea in Proverbs 11.10. God's purpose for our flourishing is the city's flourishing. God's purpose for your flourishing is the city's flourishing. And this morning, we'll consider two questions from Proverbs 11. One is, who are the righteous? And the second is, what does it look like for our flourishing to lead to the city's flourishing? And Glenn and Shirley Pozlatik, who you've already been introduced to this morning, they're going to come up and answer that second question in a bit. How they have sought the flourishing of Kansas City through their marriage and their workplace. So before we dive into who the righteous are, let's, let's pray together. God, we pray with those who have gone before us. How long, O oh Lord? God, we long for the flourishing of all. God, we recognize that you are king. And God, we thank you that you are on a restoration mission, that you are restoring things now, even us. And God, you are going to restore all things. God, would you help us to have hope? God, would you help us to understand the call you have given us as your people to participate with you in mission? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So who are the righteous? 
In the book of Proverbs, the righteous are, by definition, those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the community, while the wicked are those who put their own economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the needs of the community. Proverbs 10 to 15 contrasts the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. It juxtaposes good and evil. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. We hear in that proverb, cause and consequence. The well-being of the community depends upon the influences of the righteous and the wicked. Personal righteousness and community well-being are brought together. The righteous disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community, and their influence leads to justice prevailing and shalom being experienced. The wicked do just the opposite. They put their needs ahead of the community's needs, and it leads to injustice and oppression. Another person described the righteous this way. The just are people who follow God's ways and who see everything they have as gifts from God to be stewarded for his purposes. This mindset of stewardship, all is God's, is the opposite of a mindset of a toddler. <laughs> My husband and I had a family over for dinner on Friday night, and throughout the course of the dinner, he said, mine, 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 <laughs> multiple times. That is not what stewardship is. <laughs> You and I are called to steward all that we've been given. Knowledge, skills, position, networks, influence, reputation, for the common good, advancing God's justice and shalom. And throughout scripture, justice and shalom go together. They go hand in hand. And the reason for that is justice is joining God and making things right. Justice leads to shalom. And the reality is, is there is nothing quick about working for shalom and justice, but it endures. Injustice is identifying and intentionally addressing injustices. It's asking, why does this brokenness exist? How do we address the causes? And something I love about being a part of our denomination the Evangelical Covenant Church, is one of our five missional priorities is love mercy and do justice. And there are people at Hillcrest who are living that priority out. You heard this morning about the justice team that's focused on human trafficking. And I am learning that Kansas City is emerging as a hub of human trafficking in the United States because of all of the interstates and highways. And some of this activity is happening not far from here at 435 in Medcalf. So we care about justice and shalom because it's a part of God's heart. And now we're going to get to hear from Glenn and Shirley of how they have sought to join God in advancing his justice and shalom, and they're going to answer really the second question of what does it look like for our flourishing to lead to the city's flourishing? We are really grateful that God is a God who restores things. And 
Um, first time I was in this church building was about 33 years ago, this time of year, and I was some, somewhere in the back there. And uh, I was, uh, uh, had been married for about four years, had two little girls, and I was sitting in church and I didn't believe in God. And the reason I was there was about two, three weeks before that, Shirley had read a book written by her middle school teacher, uh, and uh, she'd given her life to Christ in the middle of the night. Somehow in the next week, she got invited to a Bible study and encouraged to come to Hillcrest. And so I find myself uh, on the uh, end of a statement that went like this, Glenn, I don't think our marriage is ever going to be the same. I've given my life to Jesus. You need to, too. And uh, that, was, uh, that was the beginning of her uh, career as an evangelist. And she's, she's done a lot greater things since then. But it, uh, it started me on a journey, and I was here. Uh, after three or four months of, of attending and going to discovery class, I had a, an appointment to meet with an uh, elder of the church to give my testimony so I could join the church. And the uh, only problem was I didn't have a testimony. I, di you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I thought about God, so I prayed. And I said, God, reveal yourself to me, please. And he did. He just like opened my eyes, dropped the scales off, and showed me you know, who he was as Jesus, the stuff I knew really all along, but he just opened my eyes to it. And that started us together on the journey of, uh, of man and wife trying to follow Jesus. And we, for the next 10 years or, or so of our marriage, we joined a small group Bible study with uh, Doug and Dory Brown and uh, uh, the Falter Myers and some other folks at Lewis, and uh, uh, we, we sought to learn what God would have for our lives. So we're journeying on, and, um, and yet we're both very different, distinct people, and um, so it, you know, there were times of conflict and trying to discern what God wanted, what we wanted, and we had decided um, at one point to go away for the weekend and to write a marriage mission statement. And we decided that that was going to be uh, the that was going to be the covenant that we made um, with Christ to do, and it, everything had to measure up to this to this mission statement. And it says, "We will follow Jesus Christ together, continually growing in intimacy, love, knowledge, and honor for one another and our Lord, serving Him together. We will train." respect, encourage, and enjoy our children, and we added grandchildren, our children added the grandchildren. Um, together, we will care for our family and friends, show hospitality to both neighbors and strangers, and serve others in the name of Christ. Um, Glenn actually framed this for me, uh, I don't know, about five years ago, but for, uh, I don't know, maybe 20 years before that, uh, it was a dog-eared copy that was actually on a post, you know, a little thumb what push pin in our closet. And there were many times where we would go back to that to see if it, if what we were doing fit into that. And it was usually at times of conflict. Um, Glenn started getting involved in a racial reconciliation movement back in, when was that? Early 90s. Yeah, the 90s. And and um, and you know and 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 that was really scary for me. And he'd be he'd be gone for long periods of time. And that was before cell phones. And you know, I said he'd come back at five. I said I thought you were going to a breakfast. You know, and he said oh, I did. <laughs> they didn't come till noon. Um, so he so that was kind of our guiding light that had helped us 
just really do the next thing that Jesus put in front of, of our hands. So you, you didn't tell him how that fit into the mission statement? What? Oh, I was honoring her. I mean, she was honoring me by allowing me to do that. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, okay, so yeah, there wasn't anything about city stuff in there, but there was about honoring. And so we, we've, it's been a, a guiding force for us. So 17 years ago, I'm here again. I mean, I've been here all along, but I was sitting here for my mom's funeral. And uh, it was this time of year again. It was in July. And um, the next week, uh, I was starting a new career. My dad had asked me to come help him uh, in his business. He, he, he actually wanted me to help him sell his business. His business was AB May Company. And uh, I started work uh, that, that next Monday after we buried my mom. And... Uh, three or four months later, we had sold the business, and uh, I found myself managing the, the uh, uh, company here, and it was part of a company owned out of uh, Atlanta, and they'd, they'd bought 23 or so other businesses across the country. For uh, the next few years, you know, I just kind of did my job, and the, uh, we did okay locally, but the overall company didn't do so well, and five years later, we uh, found ourselves, the company was, was being sold, and uh, miraculously, this is a story I'd love to have time to tell, but I, I can't other than that, that, that God somehow led Shirley and I to be able to buy the parent company, sell off all the other businesses around the country, and we ended up with our parents' original business, which was A.B. May. And that was 12 years ago. And uh, uh, the way that it came about, you know, was, there's no mistake in, in, on our part, the fact that God had, had brought it about. It wasn't anything that we could have dreamed of doing. And uh, so we knew that, that you know, he'd, he'd entrusted it to us for a purpose. And by that, we'd walk, walked long enough to know, um, you know, we could see God's hand. And uh, so we, we tried to discern what his, his purpose was. And it, it kind of, you know, uh, uh, in keeping with our marriage mission statement, it was to uh, serve together. And he'd given us a service business. And, and Shirley joined the business not long after that. And so we were actually had the opportunity for the first time, uh, really, in our marriage to work uh, side by side. And we, uh, uh, you know, saw God's will for the business. It, it turned out about three years ago, uh, we needed to, to move from our comfortable, crowded Leewood location. And, and uh, we thought God would have us get a bigger building in Kansas, but it didn't come about. It turned out that he was obviously guiding us into Kansas City, Missouri. And we ended up uh, moving into a uh, deserted warehouse in uh, what would be called the blighted area of Kansas City. And that was about a year ago uh, right now that we moved in there. And uh, uh, we, we knew that God had, had led us there just by all the circumstances. Um, there is a, 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 a poster on our wall, and uh, we. This is a, a background here is a picture that Marcus uh, Marcos Lerma uh, took of the city, and, and uh, we put a verse that that we think says clearly that God does own it all, and it tells our our coworkers and the people that come into our building uh, that Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens and earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So it's all God's. In the uh, uh, as a result of of Him moving us into the neighborhood, just the fact that we have a lot of. Him, employees and vehicles coming and going, it, it actually helped to revitalize the neighborhood. And, the, you know, from the McDonald's down the street to the, uh, uh, the, the gas station and the mini mart and the credit union, the, the area has started to, uh, the car, car wash, yeah, it's just started to uh, uh, thrive. 
just because God led us there. And next, uh, I think there's a picture of us. Uh, oh, wait a second. Um, there is a payday loan place uh, really, like, I mean, right, catty corner to us and a liquor store too. Um, so, I mean, we, we're in the city. When I just wanted to share the story though, and when we were looking at the building, um, you know what I'm asking, God, do you really want us to come here? I mean, it's been on the market forever, nobody wanted it, you know, and I'm like, do you really want us to come here? And I, I was looking for a sign for him, and, and the only thing I could find was, um, was this like shackle that had been thrown on a little tree when it was a sapling. And the, the tree had grown up, but this shackle had, uh, had destroyed a third of the tree. And that, I mean, it, it basically destroyed the tree. And so, um, so when we, you know, I go, bondage, really? You know, but I said, okay, Lord. I mean, I'll, uh, he was pointing to it. So we went ahead and went. And um, I, the tree was cut down, and I was given that, that device. And I didn't really know, I didn't want to throw it away, but I really, you know, I really didn't like it. Um, and then uh, one time, uh, we, we work with, um, Ron Nichols is our chief people development officer, and um, he's a member here. And he had uh, mentioned to, uh, of some friends at Freedom Fire, uh, Bruce McGregor, that we were just kind of going through a hard time. And they decided to do a drive-by, uh, they called it a drive-by prayer instead of a drive-by shooting. You know, it was kind of play on words there. And, and literally, they came by, they were there for like 15 minutes, they prayed, and there was these three um, black men of the city that came to pray. And I just felt moved to show them this because I, I wanted to pray against this, this spirit of, you know, of, of bondage and slavery. And so I got it out and I, you know, I showed them and I said, this is what was the only marked thing in, the, in this place. And one of them said, that is not an instrument of bondage. That is an instrument of unity. It was um, two, it's actually two plumbing pieces, which I should know, um, that, holds a, that would hold a pipe together. And he said, what you have here is not bondage, but misplaced unity. And this is a city man, black man, teaching me what, oh, misplaced unity, that that is our issue. And so instead of having the unity between God and us and us and, and the kingdom and God and, and to go out to everyone, we've, we've aligned ourselves with, with different things that are not of him. So that really got me thinking. And um, I will say, um, and I want to go to our vision statement, um, but you know, we're not an island. We are connected. We, are, we've, we need to be connected to what God is doing here or there, wherever he's called you to be. And so one way we do that is um, our vision statement is provide unparalleled opportunities for our coworkers to thrive in their careers and their overall well-being. Um, Gallup says there's five areas of well-being. Um, careers is the most important, but there's physical 
there's financial, there's social community, and I would argue with them that spiritual well-being is also very important. Um, it is the glue that holds us together. And so we try to do that for our people um, in lots of different ways, um, that, um, just in countless ways in their career, um, financial planning, management, uh, uh, well fitness and you know feeling good we try to reward people for um you know taking care of of themselves and their families and because god that he's put that in each of our hearts that is how he created us to care to to care for other people so we've asked our all of our coworkers too to look for opportunities to serve and that is in our marriage mission statement and it's one of our values, we serve others. And that means being inconvenienced. That means not thinking of ourselves. But, you know, I, I begged, I, I love the Kingdom Calling book, but I, I begged to differ that because when you give up something of, that you think is good for yourself, you get so much more. So, okay, thriving, one of the areas is community well-being. We talked about some of the others, but, but uh, we've, we've offered our... Uh, uh, co-workers the opportunity to join in the uh, redeeming the community by e either joining on a volunteer uh, project that might be rehabbing a mother's refuge center or, or uh, uh, working in the local school or if they come across somebody on the job to uh, and they feel compelled to to use their their talent and abilities to help them that we'll, we'll come alongside them and, and uh, match part of their time with PTO time, you know, help provide tools and materials if we can do that. And, and in that way, those, our coworkers are engaged in redeeming the city. And uh, you know, we've, we've involved them in a number of things, and Shirley's got some examples. Well, if we could go to the next slide. Um, just, okay, our, we basically, we're just being obedient to God to go and re rehab this building and make a good place to work. and and um, the city actually awarded us, and we got a Cornerstone Award and a Brick by Brick Award for Economic Redevelopment, um, and that's Dale Curvy with Mary, uh, Major, I can't say it, Mayor Sly James. And so, um, again, you think you're not help, you know, that you're doing something for someone else and the reward comes back. And then also the next slide, um, we, um, we love giving jobs to people, and we love training them to do their jobs well. Um, this is an example of some Bhutanese refugees who, when they came here, didn't know how to drive. And um, actually, someone um, volunteered to take them to work at 6 a.m. every five days a week and pick them up at 2 p.m. for a year until they learned how to drive and saved up money for a car. And now they're self-sufficient and going. They're part of our green team. And then we've also um, gotten involved with our local school. And we have um, our people are going in and making a difference in a Title I school that um, the kids are uh, struggling uh, in poverty. And whether it's reading or, or just being a buddy, um, we're, we're starting a um, girls running team after school this year. So we're able to go in and make a difference in that area too. And we incorporate as many people who are willing to join us in doing that. So we recognize we don't have anything that God didn't give us and, um, and we haven't accomplished anything that, that God hasn't accomplished, but uh, we're, we're blessed and we're blessed to be here at Hillcrest.
hope you were encouraged by some of the stories that Shirley and Glenn shared with us. And it gives you a little picture of what it looks like, actually a big picture, <laughs> the many stories they said, um, of what it looks like to have your flourishing lead to the city's flourishing, which is a part of God's purposes. So somebody once said, Proverbs 11.10 is a thermometer for one's relationship with God. So this morning I'm going to ask a few reflective questions for you to silently consider to take your spiritual temperature this morning. Is your righteousness beginning to positively influence Kansas City? Is your concern starting to extend beyond your own good to society's good? Are you beginning to steward what you've been given to help Kansas City and beyond flourish? Are you seeking to disadvantage yourself for the well-being of the community? God's purpose for our flourishing is the city's flourishing. God's heart is for all to flourish, and I believe that God has distributed his heart to each and every one of us. What breaks your heart? Is it economic poverty, education, job loss, payday loans, something else? You and I are designed to partner with God in restoring all things. And we are to steward all that we have been given to help others flourish in Kansas City and beyond. We are to be salt, to flavor the world with God's justice and shalom. Our lives and words are to be signposts pointing to Jesus and the flourishing that he is bringing and will bring. We are to be like pink spoons. Raise your hand if you have ever been to Baskin Robbins ice cream. <laughs> they have pink sample spoons there, right? And it gives you a foretaste of the ice cream to come. Our role as followers of Jesus is to be those pink spoons, to offer a sample of God's kingdom, to provide a taste of justice and shalom in Kansas City and beyond. And Amy Sherman is the one that uses that illustration of pink spoons. And she wrote a book called Kingdom Calling, which has shaped all of us who have spoken this morning. And we've handed it out to others because it talks about how do you begin to do that right where you are. And you can look at that in the storehouse. And this morning, I want to invite you to take two next steps, not on your own, but with others. One is to join a small group this fall. Groups will be learning and living out God's purposes. And one of the studies that groups have to choose from is a book called When Helping Hurts. And the co-author, Brian Fickert, is going to be here in Kansas City speaking at a conference called CG 2015. And you can Pick this up to learn more, and on the back of the Connect, you can learn more about small groups. And let me just read what the purpose is. To engage together in a conversation 
on how best to collaborate as neighbors for the flourishing of Kansas City. How to really live out Proverbs 11.10 with one another. And here's a short video telling you a little bit more about this conference. The first conference of CG was, for me, transformative. It caused me to ask the question of what does flourishing look like? And him pointing us back to the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2, to ask who are the vulnerable, not just in a grandiose sense, but in a specific sense in Kansas City. And then also, whose community? Um, how are we community to one another, in particular for those who are vulnerable? That I connected the dots with what we were processing in CG 2013 was this idea that in the kingdom, all things are holy, because they're gods. Um, so that means my neighbor is holy. Whether or not they're a believer, um, the vulnerable are holy, whether or not they're a believer, because they're, they're under his authority. In my line of work as a counselor, I get the opportunity to sit with so many different people and to learn. And I know that while my role is to help others, I love learning and listening to the things that I don't know, the pain that you can't see. And what I love about hoping, what I'm hoping for in CG 2015 is that we get eyes into deeper into what we can't see so that we can love the pain that is there and, and grow in our reconciliation processes. How do I now take what I've learned, what do I take about my work, and take that into the community? And where are ways now that exist that I can use what I've been given to collaborate with others, um, whether that's in government or education, and be able to work with the community, work with others, Christian and non-Christian alike, for the common good of our city.